Well, hello everyone and welcome to, I believe this is episode number seven of Building a Life and Business Together. My name is Cliff Ravenscraft. I'm Stephanie Ravenscraft. And today we're going to continue our coverage of the book, The Big Leap. We are going to continue our coverage of chapter two of said book. And we are not going to get very far today by design. What do you think about that, Stephanie? You don't want to know. <laughs> that sounds like a great here's, idea, here's, Cliff. Here's here's what I think. It is what it is. It is what it is. Isn't that true of all things in life? Yes, but that's how I, I choose to handle you picking one small portion to cover today. I'm going to ask you a, a question that I asked you last week. Did you read the assigned text for today? Why do you ask me that? I don't know. Because part of me wonders if you are going to read said text. I'm actually offended by that um, thought process. And so I choose not to answer it. (laughs) Well, I figured you might just say, well, I'm going to just take a look at his notes. And there's probably enough there since he probably highlighted, copied, and pasted every uh, sentence within that portion and so anyway i assume that you have read the text so today we're going to get into this section where he talks about triggering the upper limit problem and he says that the false foundation under the upper limit problem is a set of four hidden barriers based on fear and false belief gay said and do you want to read that Stephanie's pulling up her notes. They were already pulled up, but so that I can contribute to this conversation, I was looking up something else. Oh, what were you looking up? A definition. Of what? I'm not there yet. Okay. I ain't giving away my secrets. You already don't think I read the book. I did not say I didn't think you read the book. That's not true. You wouldn't have asked if you didn't think I read the book. That is not true. I thought you read the book. I find flaw in your theory. (laughs) Gay said... Every person I've worked with has uncovered at least one of the barriers and sometimes two or three. I've never met anybody who had all four. You know, um, the four hidden barriers, we'll cover them real quickly here. Hit, what, let's, uh, hidden barrier number one is feeling fundamentally flawed. We're going to talk about that today. Um, I definitely have, I have, what did he say, experienced uh, what did he say? Had. Like, had. Yeah. All right. So had one of these barriers. So I definitely had. Uncovered. Am, uncovered okay. at least one. Thank you. I definitely uncovered that I was struggling with f- feelings of being fundamentally, fundamentally flawed. We'll get into that today. Hidden barrier number two, disloyalty and abandonment. And I don't even remember what that one is because I didn't go through far enough into chapter two this time to read it. It's been too long. Maybe I have not experienced that. That one probably will be something that Stephanie will come to the table with uh, plenty of things down the road. Hidden barrier number three, believing that more success uh, brings a bigger burden. Definitely. So there's two. And the crime of outshining. Don't know that I'd ever have that. So I I guess I'm just trying to think, is it possible that I I have uncovered all four of these in my own life? And I know... I I can say right now, 
I don't think I've ever had a, a, a concern about outshining others. Yeah, I don't think that I've ever struggled with that one. I don't know about disloyalty and abandonment, although when I, we get into it next week, we I may actually, when I read it, it's like, hmm, okay, yeah, I have had that. But let's let's stay with number one today. But by the way, have do you resonate with any of the four so far? Or is it possible that you resonate with all four, that you could be the first person to have uncovered all four of these in your own life, Stephanie? No, I won't be that person. <laughs> You're not going to be that person. No. Um, I do resonate with one of them. Okay. It's the, not this one. It's not this one. That's fine. All right. So the four hidden Although, barriers. Hold on. I resonate with the title of one of them. That doesn't mean I'm going to resonate with what he has to say about it. Oh, well, it's because I think you have a mismatching personality with Gay Hendricks. I don't think that you. We don't vibrate on the same frequency, <laughs> he and I. And I think that that's perfectly fine. That's why I love about bringing you to this conversation because I would imagine there's a number of people out there that are similar to that. As a matter of fact, I had a conversation with somebody recently that knows gay very well and said, hmm, you know what? Your wife wouldn't be the first person who feels that way. Interesting. Yeah. You can ask me after this recording who said that. Okay. All right. So four hidden barriers, they all have something in common, although they seem very true and real to you, they are based on beliefs about ourselves that are neither true nor real. The fact that we unconsciously take them as true and real is the barrier holding us back. And that's the key here, the the word unconsciously. Sometimes we're not even aware. In fact, he talks about these are hidden barriers. These aren't out in the open. These aren't something that we're quite aware of. Oh, well, then I don't resonate because mine was very much in the open and aware. Well, some so. of them are, some of them are. But uh, yeah, the whole idea that this is hidden means just that it's unconscious. You're not quite aware that this is happening until you shine some light on it. And that's one of the things that I really love about this was it... Was it actually in here? Which kind of makes me feel like the whole chicken and egg. Because what if it's actually not there, but somebody's planted a seed and shined light on it, and so then you think it's there? Okay. Anyway. I don't know. I, there, ju- I just th- wonder that sometimes. There have been a number of times where I was not aware of something, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, where does this come from? And without somebody quote-unquote saying what it is... I, all well, if you come to those on your own, yeah, that's fine. But if you are, you know, taking mentoring or guidance or or um, coaching from someone, and they they plant a seed, and then they start to shine light and say that not necessarily you have this, but then you start questioning if you do. Then did that really come from you, or did that come from them? Yeah, I, I get your I get where you're coming from on that. Okay. It goes back to the whole having the power of influence. I'm very careful about who has the power of influence over what's in my mind. I love that about you. And it is it is also the the power of influence is one way to communicate it. And, and there's a word that I studied when I was reading a lot of books on hypnotherapy. And it's this word, the power of suggestion. Yes. So if all of a sudden somebody suggests to you that you might be experiencing this and then you start thinking on it and you start dwelling on it and you start and, yeah and then and then all of a sudden now it's true for you because you've turned it into what's called an auto suggestion yep 
anyway, that's that that's So that's why Stephanie is like, listen, I resist everything. <laughs> that's not true. I know it's not true. That's not true. It's fun to say though. But um so my I mean, we're not we're not even really into this yet. I'm gonna have to run over and get my readers because I can't see this text. Well, I feel like the font is smaller than the font you've been using in the past. Is it? And and you can't zoom to no. Okay, so I, I might have to run over and get those. Um, but we're not there yet. You want to say something though? I I my are you done with me? Yeah, it, okay. it, it's just, it's still, even though it's turned down, it doesn't turn down all the way. Uh, and right, still, I'm still hearing it. Are you? Yeah. Okay, I couldn't hear it until you pulled it out of the drawer. Yeah, it's good. Okay. Um, we're talking about my phone. <laughs> so, <laughs> my problem is with the actual words. Right, so what word were you looking up? Are you going to reveal it now? Um, sure, I, I've looked up both of them. Um, my, my problem is... Um, fundamentally flawed okay okay let me find them again all right okay flaw the definition of flaw or flawed um a mark fault or imperfection that mars a substance or object yep okay. a fault or weakness in a person's character yep a mistake or shortcoming in a plan, theory, or legal document that causes it to fail or reduces its effectiveness. Yeah, that one's not a. The first two resonate. No, in a business, in a business plan, in a business model. Yeah, if but this is the, the person so. being fundamentally flawed, not, okay. the, not the plan. Okay. So the first two would so the first be in alignment are, with what he's talking right. about. Um, I don't think flaws are bad. I don't think flaws exist. I disagree because if it's a journey. How are we going to learn anything if we're not improving on any like ah if you don't and have, thus becomes the debate and philosophy I'm not here to talk philosophy with you I will leave <laughs> <laughs> Okay I'm just then maybe they need to be called something else because what, I don't what would think you call them? that they're bad like I don't think that they're a negative thing Part of your character <laughs> like it, it's it's i don't i don't know i it's just the word flawed i don't like all right well, well i don't like fundamentally either because that's on a level that can't change and you know it, and and that's the whole thing it, he's saying that the, there's a there are a lot of people there are a lot of people who believe that who they believe are that they are flawed and that they are fundamentally flawed right but why do flaws have to be bad? Why do they have to be negative? Why do, why do I have why a kitchen table? I have a kitchen table that is to some people would be called flawed. It's rustic, it's not smooth, it's not um um shiny. What what is that stuff? I don't know. Anyway. It doesn't have veneer. Veneer, or? yeah. Okay. Um my kids spilt water on it, so it's got some water damage. There are flaws on my kitchen table. But it's still a beautiful piece of wood and the center of my kitchen. And see, I'd, it's often and, covered with trash. Yeah, and and there are some people who would look at our table and say that is flawed. But but the flaws make it beautiful. The flaws tell its story. And and that's one perspective. And you're that's fine. That's I, my I'm perspective. Not gonna, that's I, your I perspective. Know, I'm not. And and my perspective is I'm that just... I don't believe the table has any flaws. 
Okay. I think the table still does what the table was designed and intended to do. Right. But if it's, it was stand- it's not perfect. If it was balancing on one leg, it would have flaws and it wouldn't... <laughs> Right, but would it still be doing when it was in dinner? Yeah, it, it so, still holds the fo- the food in front of us as we're actually, sitting. Actually, it really doesn't. Really, it holds the week's groceries that have nowhere to go. <laughs> it well, and maybe that was another maybe unintended that, that's, purpose. That's not true. But yet, it does that job equally as well. The thing is, is I still don't think that the table itself is flawed, and certainly okay. not fundamentally flawed. Well, that's I told there you I don't like some, that word. Like, and, and well, that's what I'm saying. And neither does Gay Hendrix. That's the whole thing. The, I think he does because yeah. he used it. He, well, he said, let his client use it without. No. Yes. He is saying if I I, I haven't we're going to get through the notes here, but I'm pretty sure he's saying, listen, this is a false belief. You are number one. You're not fundamentally flawed. Number two, you're not even flawed. Okay. It's the belief that you feel it's true that I you are flawed. Understand? That is, How, can I say I understand slower so you understand that I understand? So, so why are you saying that he is saying people are flawed? Because that's what I got out of it. But that's like, his, why didn't he tell? Why did not? Why did he not tell Carl that the issue was his dad's issue? Who's Carl? Have we gotten there? Did Hold you on. read the chapter? I, last week when I was putting the notes together, we were going to go through these. All right. Gay tells the story of Carl, whose father told him at a young age, under the influence of too much alcohol, I can't look at you without simultaneously feeling hatred for your mother. This, is, this at such a young age, caused Carl to adopt the belief that there must be something fundamentally flawed about himself. But never once did Gay tell him you're not fundamentally flawed. Why don't I? Gosh. Um, he, said, he says, if you have a deep, old feeling that there's something wrong, bad, or flawed about you, you will find yourself grappling with the next issue, with that issue, every time you break through to greater yes, love. You'll, and be, a, you'll be grappling with it. Never once does he actually say, Carl, there's nothing wrong with you. I'm pretty sure he did. When? I read it 15 minutes ago. <laughs> I think it's it's assumed that he had this conversation. And I think you just you, you just have steered the conversation in that way so that I actually had to tell you that I read the book 15 minutes ago. <laughs> 30, actually. So we you started, did read the book. I did read it. <laughs> and it's clear I'm the one who have, hasn't read it. But no, seriously, I, that, he's saying here, this is what Carl's struggling with. Carl had adopted this belief that his father was right. I think that that is probably what he meant to say. But what he used were a big bunch of big fancy words that you have to read four times to even understand that he's telling you you're not fundamentally flawed. Okay. When he could have just said, you're not fundamentally <laughs> flawed. Gay. And here you, need is- to have, you need to have somebody rewrite your book. Stephanie will be in touch. <laughs> I mean, it's his book, but if you want me to review it with you, if you want me to go no, through it with I, you, I do. I'm going the, to, this is this is the this is the what we do. You know what book he's not going to ask me to do? What's that? What What's the one called? Which one? Ah, the Prosperous Coach. <laughs> and poor Steve Chandler. Poor guy. 
We'd only cover <laughs> Rich Lidfin's chapters. <laughs> that I can handle. That's hilarious. All right. Um, so th- th- I missed a line here. Um, when we take t- when we take them as real, until we let's see here, what we take they? them as real, <laughs> and until we shine awareness on them, then the barriers dissolved and we are free. And that's the whole thing. The whole message here is that here's the barrier feeling fundamentally flawed flawed you need to shine the light on the fact that you actually have this belief that you are flawed where did it come from let's shine the awareness on it and when you do then you can actually evaluate is this true and of course he's already said that these are false beliefs and so therefore the idea the whole purpose of this book is to help people dissolve the untruth about these four hidden barriers to people's success. But are they hidden or were they suggested when they read the book? Okay. So here's what happened. <laughs> you have conversations with people long enough. I know. And you say, hmm, what do you mean you can't do that? What do you mean that that's not possible? And you ask a lot of questions, you ask a lot of questions, and then the client tells me, well, when my dad said this, or when my teacher said this, and my wife tells me I can't sing, you know, I couldn't keep, you know. You can't carry carry a a tune? I can't carry a tune if I had a bucket. You know, they're all of these things. And what all that Gay has done is saying, listen, I've heard people's limiting excuses, limiting beliefs, and I think they fall into four main categories. And so that's all he did. I, I get it. Okay. He wrote a book. He wrote a book. <laughs> Poor guy. Based on his experiences. Yes. All right. So the Full of generalizations. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, okay, go. I think we have to. I think all books are based on generalizations per the topic of the book. That's exactly what it has to be. Otherwise, I, I know that you would have to read like, here's my 17 volume set. On... I mean, if it was good enough, I would read it. I know you would. <laughs> <laughs> but my guess is that if Gay <laughs> Hendricks had a 17 volume set on the He's upper gonna limit be lucky problem. If I get it to chapter 17. <laughs> Could you imagine us covering 17 volumes? Yeah, I would have just said no. I know. All right. Let's see now, here. I have no idea where you just pulled that part about being free out because it's not in my notes. Have you changed the notes again since you sent them to me? All right. So and I'm bringing this up because you've done it before. Do you see where it says hidden barrier number one, feeling fundamentally flawed? Yes. All right. Do you see right above that there's green and red text? So you went backwards. Yes, because you went forward. I didn't go forward. I missed Carl and you didn't know who he was because you didn't read the chapter. Well, okay. You went forward to Carl and I had to go past where, yes, the part that I just read. I didn't go forward in the notes. I I had to go forward. Because I know who Carl is. (laughs) All right. (laughs) We're ready to cover hidden barrier number one. You, you wish you wish I wouldn't have come, brought my A game, right? No, like I, I would have no, stayed in my tired sleeping. It's nap time, baby. Er, everything <laughs> you do to throw obstacles in the way of making this just flow adds to the entertainment <laughs> value of this show. Okay, and it's exactly why people tune into this particular podcast. Gotcha. So free was backwards. I gotcha. Exactly. 
So now we don't have to read the part about Carl because Carl, we, we get I mean, this. it's been a few minutes. Don't you need a refresher? So, so the dad, dad says, listen, you know, I can't look at you without feeling hatred in my heart. You remind me of your mother. That's, he says, I can't look at you without simultaneously feeling hatred for your mother. Can I not paraphrase what he said? No, you don't know the father. <laughs> you don't even know Carl. I didn't. <laughs> I know Carl. I've been Carl. <laughs> you can't handle the Carl. Yeah, I'm just, that didn't work. That did not work. <laughs> Hey, you want to hear a funny story? Please. Total tangent. Hit me up with a funny story, babe. Total tangent. Um, since we've started doing these um, these podcasts, even when back when they were part of Family from the Heart, <laughs> um, our oldest daughter, Megan, and her boyfriend, Jacob, have been listening yes. to them, right? And a lot of times together. Last week, they sat down to listen our daughter being our daughter fell asleep and she woke up and she's like, is that my parents? And then rolled over and went back to sleep because Jacob was listening to us on his own. That's funny. I told you it was a funny story. There you go. Anyway. Hello, Jacob. All right. Um, so if you have a deep old feeling that there's something wrong, bad or flawed about you, you will find yourself grappling with the issue every time you break through to greater love and financial abundance. What's the next line? Or the next couple lines. When you surpass the upper limit thermostat setting, a little voice admonishes you from deep within your mind. You should not be this happy or rich or creative because you are fundamentally flawed. This thought creates cognitive dissonance. The mind the mind rattle that occurs when you try to hold two opposing thoughts at the same time, given that I am fundamentally flawed or wrong or bad, how can I possibly be this happy, rich, and creative? All right. And then cognitive dissonance must be resolved in one of two ways. Number one, you need to return to your previous thermostat setting meaning that if you all of a sudden become more financially prosperous than you are have been accustomed to and comfortable with, and, and if you are achieving more financial success than you feel worthy of, then one way of overcoming this dissonance inside of you, this cognitive battling between you know all of this stuff, one way is to return back to your previous level of financial success, which means that you need to go back to not making as much money, not being as prosperous as you have in these recent days, months, or weeks, or even years. So there is another way, and that is letting go of the old limiting belief, which allows you to stabilize at the new higher level. You can get rid of the idea that you're not worthy. You can get rid of the idea that you're fundamentally flawed. You can shine awareness on where that belief came from, and you can tell your dad today, even if he's passed away, you're wrong. This was not true then, and it's not true now. I did nothing wrong. I'm not bad. I'm not flawed. I'm not evil. I'm not all of this stuff. That's the message. I got it. Okay. And you agree with that, right? I do. I told you the part I don't like are fundamentally flawed. Okay. I have never been sitting around 
thinking about my we'll call it I've never been sitting around thinking about my childhood trauma and the things that are limiting me and holding me back and my brain has pulled up the words fundamentally flawed okay I feel like that it's it's the words I, I will in a little bit because I don't think you've read my the notes from Cliff part of this document. I did not read Cliff's yet. notes. That's good because I'm going to share with you why <laughs> I why I absolutely resonate with the words fundamentally flawed. All right, and that's coming up here in just a minute. But try to tr- read this next paragraph with the starts with the white and the purple, and tell me if uh, what you think black about and this. Purple. It's black and purple. The first, oh, yours, okay, you're reading with a white background. You don't have the dark theme black turned on. Purple. All right. All right. The fear of being fundamentally flawed brings with it a related fear. The fear of being fundamentally flawed brings with it a related fear. Okay. It's the fear that if you did make a full commitment to living in your zone of genius, you might fail. It's the belief that even your genius is flawed and that if you expressed it in a big way, it wouldn't be good enough. This belief tells you to play it safe and stay small. That way, if you fail, at least you fail small. Yeah. I'm going to fail one way or another, and it's easier to fall from a a lower height than a higher height. Maybe that's why you failed, because you started with the thought, I'm going to fail anyway. And why would you have the thought that I'm going to fail anyway? Because I'm inherently flawed. (laughs) That's the whole thing. I know. That's what we're talking about. All right. Here's things people say when they believe that they are fundamentally flawed. Now, I actually wrote these things. I don't think these were in the the book. Number one, I don't have what it takes. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy of this. I feel like an imposter. What if people find out that I'm a fraud? Other people are far more qualified. Nobody wants to hear what I have to say or nobody wants to follow me. Etc. By the way, I have said every single one of those lines countless times in my life. Have you ever said any of those things, Stephanie? I have, Let's go line by line. Have you ever thought to yourself, I don't have what it takes? No. So there you go. You don't deal with that one. Have you ever said to yourself, I'm not good enough? Not recently. Okay. Yes. But have you ever? Well, yes, but I no longer relate to that woman, so... It's very difficult for me to, to so she's was, not who I am. Right. So was that back, would you say that you have not had the I'm not good enough, that has not been a part, it hasn't been an issue for you since your mountain experience in Colorado? Is that is that where it shifted for you? Soon after. Soon after. Okay, good. Or not good. I mean, not like there's a right or wrong answer. <laughs> it's like, oh, she passed. No, I, yeah. anyway, for some reason, your phone just disappeared, by the way. Yeah, you're fun. You, you're no longer in the room. Awesome. That's all right. I'm out. <laughs> Stephanie left. All right. So <laughs> for those who are on Clubhouse listening to us live, obviously, Stephanie and I are sharing the same connection to you. So anyway, I'm not worthy of this. What about that one? 
I don't know. I'm not worthy I, of this much success. I'm not worthy of this much no, I love with my kids. I'm not worthy of this many days in a row going right. No, I don't know that I, no. I, I got to tell you, there, I, I won't say anybody's name, but there was a client that I work with that he will often say things like, okay, guys, this is getting scary. I have never had my life going so well, so many things operating at exactly the way that I hoped and dreamed that they would, and I'm starting to get freaked out because I'm just ready for the next shoe to drop. Yeah. And that's that's a hidden barrier. I it's like, yeah. and, and somebody who says something like that is experiencing hidden barrier number one, and if something externally does not show up, for that shoe to drop so that he can feel comfortable that he's experiencing as much as he's worthy of experiencing, he will subconsciously do something that will sabotage it. And if it's not something he does in the business or an argument created in a relationship, he could, his subconscious mind can create disease in the body, sickness, illness. Anyway, um, have you ever felt like I feel like uh, I feel like an imposter? Do you deal with that at all today? I don't know that I would use no. Okay. No, because because I wouldn't use the word imposter. All right. Um, let's see here. Do you have so you wouldn't use the word imposters, and you probably wouldn't probably don't deal with. Oh my gosh, I can't do that because at some point somebody's going to figure out that you know, I'm a fraud or nope. I don't know everything that I should know to carry this title. I don't carry a title. I know what I know and I share what I know, but it's what I know. It doesn't have to be what you want to know. Do you ever not pursue something because you feel like, you know what? Nobody's going to follow me. Nobody cares what I have to say about this. And there are so many other people who are far more qualified for to have other people's attention. No. See, so, so I, I think that sometimes I think that there are people more qualified, but that does not hold me back from doing what I love that about you. I am meant to do. By the way, I have not had any of these bullet point items since, uh, gosh, I would say probably 2016, 2017. It was right when this new stage or chapter in my spiritual journey took place, and it broke free from a lot of fundamentalist Christian Orthodox doctrine and dogma that got me out of this. So here is some notes from Cliff. First of all, this section of chapter two is so brief and so to the point uh, then it moves on to hidden barrier number two. Most people who read chapter two will glance right over this chap this this first hidden barrier and not really give it much thought. Now, if you have never experienced this hidden barrier, it's not really that big of a deal for you. Now, Stephanie, you have experienced hidden barrier number 1, you just would never have chosen to use the word flawed or even fundamentally flawed. It's fundamental that I wouldn't have chosen. Okay. I don't have a problem with the word flawed. Right. And and you're okay with the fact that if I have, I, I'm okay with the fact that I believe that I have flaws and they're not really a bad thing. And the matter of fact, they're kind of like my kitchen table. They add a little character. They add a lot of character. A lot of character. And so, okay. So, 
flawed I can understand now is probably not a good enough word to reach you for the power of what this hidden barrier is. Right. It would need like, to be a, a like harsher bad. Word. I am fundamentally evil. That would that would that's different. I yes. am fundamentally bad. I am fundamentally wrong. Because here's here's and, and here's the thing that I used in my parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a grandparent who um, I think when Megan was like two um, told her that she was bad. Don't do that. You're bad. To which I responded, no, what she did was bad. Yes. She's not bad. Don't put that label on her. So, and and I was doing that long before I went to the mountain. So, yes. like, there there is a... <clears throat> There, there has always been a there has always been a I don't know what the right word is but but something in me that that chooses not to live under the label of others L- chooses not to live under the label that other people put on me you know um I went through you know shortly after my my mountain experience i i broke up with all of those labels because they no longer had the power of influence over me so so a harsher word like evil but evil doesn't fit into what he's talking about in my mind so i don't i I don't yeah. know what the right word would be well, when but we- i'm i'm following along i know what's going on i know what he's saying my issue is with the word. So I have three Cliff's notes here. When I get to the third one, I'll share share with you what mine is. But I want to read the second Cliff's notes here. So I, I put in here, I think some people will resonate with the story of Carl, but I but I did not. This, you know, Carl's dad saying, every time I look at you, I can't, I, I just see, I just hate, see, seethe with hatred for your mother. You know, it's like, okay, that seems like you got an issue there, buddy. It's a you problem. <laughs> I, I just did, I couldn't, I couldn't see myself taking that on as me feeling like I've done anything wrong. Although I can appreciate how somebody else can come to that conclusion, such as Carl. So some people will resonate with Carl. I did not resonate with Carl in that scenario. That story, that example, that illustration did not resonate with me. But I did just recently have a conversation with a client that I'll call Ted. All right. Ted's not this client's real name. But Ted uh, was experiencing some issues and he was exhibiting this, you know, this fundamental flaw I need to overcome. And I kept wondering, why is he doing this? Why is he doing this? I said, when, when was it in, a, in your childhood that somebody told you that you have to prove yourself, that you have to improve yourself, meaning that you've got lots of improvement that needs to happen before you can experience success? And I, I, those were not the exact words. This was a couple weeks ago. But here's the exact response that came and i went into our transcript and this is what he said he said uh i remember it was a fourth grade teacher who told some other kid i swear you are as stupid as ted is and here's the next line that ted spoke to me after he he he, it's like it's just like it instantly i haven't thought about this since i was in fourth grade 
but it just came to me. I'll never forget this teacher said, I swear you are as stupid as Ted is. And then he said, and I have used that incidence to try to excel. Now, another paraphrase of this, I've tried to use that as a motivation for me to improve. To not be so stupid. Saying to the learn. school system should improve their teachers because. Well, it, this this happens all the time. I mean, not this I exact know, word. And I love teachers, but there every now and again, there's going to be one who says something that radically changes someone's entire life for the negative. And that's exactly what we're trying to uncover. How many of these things have been said to you that you haven't thought about since you were in fourth grade, but subconsciously. You feel like you need to overcome your stupidity. I'm not stupid. I, well, if you were Ted, you might think this. No, I I understand. Right, but Ted's not stupid. So he says, you know what? And ever since then, I've used that to try to excel. The very next line, for, he, this is exact word for word. And with more diligence and more focus, I can be better than I was. Do you not, that actually, that phrase says, I wasn't good enough. And I've used what that teacher has said to motivate me all the time so that I could actually become better because I'm not good enough. And so I have, and and the the thing is, is this cycle never ends. There is never a place where you stop feeling stupid because guess what? Next line, which means that there's always better to come and that's what i want to pursue i want to consistently pursue better and better and better and then he tells me and by the way cliff every time you say take everything you do to the next level that's what i'm after that's that's what that's he says it's because of what's here where i am now i know it could be better and i'm like oh This is hidden barrier number one. I'm not good enough. Where I'm at is not good enough. There's always something more. I I am still not living into all that I could be, and I recognize that I need to add more so that I could be more. I understand that. Mm -hmm. I do. Um, I I completely get what what you are saying. Um, I'm getting Ted's limiting belief. I, I'm I'm following along. Mm-hmm. But along the same you're not fundamentally flawed. You, Cliff, are not fundamentally flawed. Absolutely not. You are perfect as you are. And not perfect. But I am not fundamentally flawed. Okay. You're perfectly imperfect as you are. Yes. But if someone says, how are you doing? What are you going to say? Never been better. It gets better every single minute of the day. Meaning it's not good enough because it's going because it got better. No, it just means that now that I've lived an extra second of the day, minute of the day, that my life is better because I just had another 60 seconds of awesome experience of life, which means that I have more awesomeness to be thankful for than I did one minute ago. But someone who has the thought process of Ted will hear that and perceive it a completely different way. Thank you. Yes. Yes. And that's what he was saying. He says, Cliff, I so resonate with your take everything you do to the next level because I know I need that. No, it's, it's not that you need that. It's that that's what you want. want. 
That's what you want to create. You want to take things, you want to take everything and and just like you want to out of the abundance of all that you are, the wholeness of who you are, you want to go and create. You want to give, you want to serve, you want uh, you want to express from the wholeness that you are. But the uh, but the other language is, oh my gosh, I so need that because I perceive that I lack this. If I could just take things to the next level, I will finally be happy. If I could just take things to the next level, I will finally experience peace. If I could just take things to the next level, here's the next lines. By the way, this is still word for word what Ted said to me in this coaching call. I had no interruptions. So here's, I'm going to go back to the beginning. I remember... a fourth grade teacher who told me told some other kid, I swear you're as stupid as Ted is. I've used this to try to excel. And with more diligence and focus, I can be better than I was, which means that there's always better to come. And that's what I want to pursue. When I hear next level, that's what I'm after. It's because what's here, and, and I'm going to inject, not good enough, could be better. All right. Now, Ted said in the same conversation, my ultimate goal in life would to be finished in such a way that I would hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. To hear this, I believe that I must finish the work that I believe he called me to do. And I believe that I'm doing that work, even though I'm not currently seeing the results. I eventually believe I have to achieve. So in essence, what I'm hearing is that if I were to die today, I would not hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That is what, that's, that's what it sounds like he believes. And that means that where I am, I'm fundamentally flawed. And that to be able to hear those words, there's something I have to achieve. Something I've been working on for the past four years and have seen zero results with, by the way. I'm fundamentally flawed. Now, here is Cliff's Notes number three. I, Cliff Ravenscraft, felt fundamentally flawed growing up. I was taught this as what is known as Christian doctrine called total depravity. Does that ring a bell for you, Stephanie? Yeah. So I was told that by nature, all all men and women are depraved sinners, Matter of fact, Jeremiah 17.9 was quoted quite frequently from pulpits. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And then I was told I was going to burn in hell for my depravity. All right. If, if I did not do, you know, a couple of magic incantation words, I believe in you, Jesus. All right. So this false belief caused me to feel that I was never quite enough, that there are others who have worked far harder than I have to overcome their flaws than I have. And so because I haven't worked hard enough to overcome my flaws, I'm not worthy of success. I still haven't learned enough to be of value to others. I haven't overcome enough of my weaknesses to be of value to others. And hard work and pain must be consistently put in to further overcome my seeming seeming endless flaws, which is why I worked around the clock every single day when I started this business. It's like, listen, I know that I've not been disciplined enough. I know that I've not been 
um, intentional enough with my life. I know that I haven't done this enough, and I know I'm not smart enough here, but here's what I will do. I am finally at a place where I am going to commit to improving myself, to becoming more worthy, and what I plan to do, I didn't say this intentionally, but this is what, this is what happened. I worked 12 to 14 hours a day, seven days a week, every week for nine months without a single day off. Because I am so under overwhelmingly fundamentally flawed, this is the only way I'm able to experience any success in this business. And I almost died in the hospital in January 2009. I know, I was there. All right. So, Stephanie, you have not read the book Super Coach by Michael Neal, have you? I have not. All right. I would love to ask you, if you would, read this quote right under here. It says, I want to bring in some quotes from the book Super Coach by Michael Neal. So some have? Yeah, some have. Sorry, I brought the wrong beverage with me. <laughs> no worries. Some have decided that happiness is completely outside their control and they give up on the pursuit. Often... See, and here and here's here's why I could read his book. Yes. Some, some have. Some have. I love that. Yeah. I I could already tell you I could read his book. Do you want to cover Super Coach next? <laughs> no, because I'll be dead before we're done with this one. <laughs> Often they actually begin to feel better when they stop trying so hard to be happy, which leads to them which leads them to another false conclusion that happiness is something that can only be pursued indirectly. The paragraph or the parentheses as well. Yep. The reason why that's a false conclusion is because it's based on the notion that happiness is a thing, something we can have or not have pursue directly or indirectly get and, or if we're not careful lose. All right. And then just read the next question. What if perfect wholeness and well-being were our natural state? What if wholeness and well-being were our natural state? Uh Uh-uh. Perfect wholeness. I'm sorry. What if perfect wholeness and well-being were our natural state? Instead of our natural state is total depravity. Not just a little bit of depravity. I'm sorry, my friend. You are totally depraved. I know. (laughs) Oh my gosh. What if instead of us believing that we are totally depraved, that our heart is deceitfully wicked, what if we believed that our natural state of being is perfect wholeness and well-being? Now, Stephanie, I want to read the next section here out of this book. What are you looking at your watch for? Mm-mm. Is it Go Megan ahead. texting you? I know, actually, it's Matthew. It's Matthew. All right. Is it anything that you need to? He just wanted to know what when we would be done, but okay, we're good. All right. So I want you to listen to this as I read, and you can read along there because you got the notes. But I want you to hear these words because I don't know if I've ever read this to you before. And and when I heard this, this is this was a brand new concept to me. And by the way, this may have been a catalyst moment for that big shift which started a different spiritual chapter in my life. So here's what it says. A quick look into a baby's eyes will reveal that we're born at peace. 
in tune with the infinite, in touch with our bliss, resting in the wall in the well of our being. But even when we're a baby, our very human needs come uh, from time to time interfere with our connection to this innate well-being. We experience physical discomfort. And because we don't understand the source of that discomfort, we do the we do the best we know how to do. We scream bloody murder. All right? Then, to our delight and amazement, someone comes and makes it better. They feed our hunger, dry our bottom, entertain it, they entertain our nascent brain with funny noises and roller coaster type movements. And before we know it, we're nestled back into the bosom of our innate well-being. Over time, it's the most natural thing in the world for us to to begin to connect and even attribute that return to well-being to the people or activities that seem to be causing it. We're okay because mommy loves us. We're okay because daddy protects us. We're okay because the people around us, for the most part, appear to have our well-being at heart. And then one day we do something in our innocence and joy that mommy or daddy doesn't like. We splash paint on a wall or cry when daddy is tired. And suddenly the ocean of love that we're used to swimming in is filled with sharks and other monsters too horrible to mention. Before long, We've brought into, bought into we've bought into the myth that love and wellness exists outside of us, and we and the need for a personality is born. Now, the whole idea, the need for a personality is born. This is where he comes. Go ahead. I love that they use splash paint on the wall because um, we had a child who was like adamant that her art belonged on the wall. Yes, she was. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember and not being, I remember not being happy. <laughs> All right. Here's the next line. This is still from Supercoach. But well-being, happiness, contentment, love, peace, spirit is our essential nature. Not total depravity, by the way. Mm-hmm. All right. So all our attempts to capture these feelings from out in the world, no matter how well intended and practically followed, are doomed to fail. Not because happiness and well-being are unattainable, but simply because it's impossible to find what has never been lost. Well-being is not the fruit of something you do. It's the essence of who you are. There is nothing you need to change. There is nothing you need to do. There is nothing you need to be. There is nothing you need to have in order to be happy. The reason why this understanding of the source of well-being is so significant is that so much of us or so much of our energy and time is squandered 
in pursuing goals and projects and financial incentives and relationships that we believe that make us happy, um, note added by Cliff, or make God happy, (laughs) and so much of the stress and strain we experience in our lives is brought on by our misguided attempt to make ourselves feel better by having, doing, or achieving the quote-unquote right things. Simply put, we attribute our good feelings to will. Deter, uh, let's, what's that say? What we attribute our good oh, feelings we, to will determine what we do and where we go to get more of them. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I think my well-being comes from being around a particular person, I'll do all sorts of things I wouldn't otherwise do and put up with all sorts of other things I wouldn't otherwise put up with in order to keep that person around. If I think my well-being comes from my work or my income, (laughs) then I'll overinvest in my job and be willing to ignore my common sense and wisdom in order to to preserve and enhance it. What? What was so funny? My well-being does not, definitely does not come from having people around. (laughs) I was just talking to my sister last night. She was telling me something that a family member had said. And I'm like, what I wouldn't give to be in the room when someone says that to you. (laughs) Um, because it's ridiculous and it needs to be squashed and it, it, anyway. And, um, I said, like, clearly she knows, she understands that I live in my corner over here and I stay in my lane and I do my own thing. I have dinner with my sister every other week because I enjoy it. I like that time with her. Um, it, it is, it is, um, life giving to me. But I do not get my well-being from having people around. You get your well-being from going within, you, from being true to yourself, which your essential nature. Right. Your essential essence is well-being. And you've discovered that. I have. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought it was funny because I will not go out of my way to keep somebody around. And then he if says. If they want to go, I'll open the door. Yep. He says, if I think my well-being comes from a food or drug, I'll do whatever it takes to get hold of that food or drug the next time I'm feeling in need of another hit of good feelings. Yes. What if you believe that you are not fundamentally flawed? What if you believe that you... Are uh, we out of Supercoach now? Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see here. So when we go back yeah, to... this wo- is me. Yeah, this, this is, is your notes, but these, this takes us out of Supercoach. Yeah, so everything we've read so far is out of Supercoach. So this whole idea of, of the need of the personality is born, this whole idea of personality, it's, it's like, oh my gosh, I need... If I feel that my well-being comes from my relationship with you, I need you to not yell at me. For example, I need you to soothe me. I need you to encourage me. I need you to make me smile. It, I will do, I will change my behavior mm-hmm. to manipulate you. Yes. Which means that I have to actually change who I am, or at least I actually not change who I am because I can't change who I am. I'm always who I am. But I have to adopt a fake personality or I have to create a personality Mm -hmm. that allows me to do and say and behave in a certain way that will get a response from you which I believe is necessary for my well-being right that's what we have as a personality I I understand that and the crazy thing is is that many people have 
what are multiple personalities. They really do. They really do. Um, and and I understand them. Like I, I I understand that. I have lived a time in my life where I was one personality for for one group of people, and I was another personality for another. And um, I mean, I really want to tell this story. I'm I'm just going to. Okay, so obviously we've mentioned my mountaintop experience many times and through that I found freedom. Um my well-being comes from within and I am true to myself in all things that I do. So a couple of years ago, um one of my younger sisters got married and um I was her maid of honor and after the reception I had told her and her husband that I would stay behind and help clean things up. Okay. When they left to go, to go do their thing. So I end up in charge of a bunch of drunk men helping me put tables and chairs away. Okay. Um, I really live by, I, I don't, I don't take crap from people and they were annoying me and I let them know and I let them know with some harsh language <laughs> and um and my mom said she's like I just tell all my coworkers how sweet my daughter Stephanie is and how like I just you just don't talk like that I'm like you just don't know me mm-hmm. because for so long I had to wear a certain face or a certain personality a certain persona a certain persona to fit into the box that she believed that I was yeah and I no longer do that I know I no longer do that. Um and it is a very freeing place to live. <laughs> it is it is very freeing indeed. Absolutely. So so, that, so I understand the wearing different personalities and the wearing different personas for for different people because I have lived that life. So I learned this from Sadhguru. The the word personality comes from the Greek word persona, which is from the theater. And they would have these actors on the stage who would play multiple roles. And so an actor on the stage would hold a persona, a mask up to their face. And that mask is the picture of this character. And they would speak and then they would walk off stage and they would come back with another one. They'd have a different mask in front of their face, a different persona. And so that's what a persona is. And and if you want to know what a personality is, it's nothing more than a persona that got stuck. It's a persona that you continue to wear. And you can take it off. The question is, is who's behind the mask? Do you know the answer to that question? That's a whole nother book for a whole nother time. <laughs> okay. All right. So what if you believe that you were made in the perfect image of God instead of totally depraved? This is what I came to. This is where I, where it led to me. What if I wasn't totally prepared? What if I, what if, what if I actually go, instead of looking at the, scripture that says your heart is deceitfully wicked and above all things, you know, blah, blah, blah. What if I go to Psalm 139 verses 13 through 14 and I say, see where it says, for you were created, uh, for you created my inner most inmost being you knit me together in my mother's womb i praise you because i am fearfully and wonderfully made 
Your works, me, for example, are wonderful. <laughs> I know that full well. What if, what if I said, hey, God, you didn't screw up with me. You didn't create trash. Well, he didn't. But but if I believe that, hey, we are all reason, totally depraved. But the God reason has, that totally depraved is is preached and taught is because that's the persona that they want you to live under. That is the persona they want you to live under. the The thing is, though, that I I have a way, and and this is not the purpose of this podcast, but I have a way of understanding sin, evil, depravity, and all that stuff, and yet that it's not our the the reality is that our personas are totally depraved. Yes. All right. We are not. But our essence is not. And that is the key. In fact, Jesus says, "I wish you would come become a chi- like a child. If you could go back to your innocence before you became depraved." You know, it's it, and it and it gets handed down from generation to generation and there's so much more that I could say. But anyway, what if what if, let's see here. What would it be like to hear well what if to hear well done and good and faithful servant all that I needed to do was to remember and awaken to my reality of my oneness with God. All the law, Jesus said all the law and everything ever shared by the prophets would can be summed up and fulfilled by all this. Love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, and soul or spirit and love others as yourself. What if we simply did those two things and remembered our original state of Isn't well-being? that all we're called to do? That's it. That is it. There's no... There's no perfect job. There's, there's no, no perfect, perfect service. There's no... The perfect service is to love others as yourself. And to love your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit. Like, that is the great calling. That That is what we are called to do. It doesn't matter what we do for work or what our job is or how many kids we have or if we get married or who we love. Like, none of that matters. And, and the question In might- the sense of the great calling. Right. And we have lots of freedom. We, we've been given this free, feel, free will to go do whatever you want in this world. The only thing that I ask, love me with all your heart, mind, and spirit, and love others as yourself. Do that and go ask, ask me for anything. You do those two things, ask me for anything, I'll give it to you. And in fact, uh, John 15, 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. He didn't say. Hold on, hold on. And it will be done for you. And it will be done for you. He says, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. That's Mark 11, 24. Matthew 21, 22. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. John 15, 16. He says, "Uh, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit and fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask for in my name the father will give to you and it says here if we know that he hears us whatever we ask we know we have what we have asked of him well, hold on i think that even bigger than whatever we ask is if you believe yes that is it because you can ask and you can ask and you can ask, but if you don't believe, you're missing the key part. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, if you don't believe. And, and, and of course, if you believe that what you ask for is coming from your heart and your heart is flawed and deceitfully wicked and evil. Then you're not going to believe that you're... You're not going to believe that what you want is worthy of having. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. And if you believe that you need to accomplish something, I and I'm not saying that God doesn't have desired for us, and I'm not saying there aren't plans, there aren't things that we're supposed to do in this world. But through this, I realized, well, God knew who I would be. God is outside of time. So anything that has ever happened from the beginning of creation until the end of time, he already knew before he knit me together in my mother's womb. He knew what all of my desires would be. He knew what all of my decisions, he knew what personalities and what false beliefs about my identity I would have. He knew about all of the things that I would do wrong in if you know in in this you know the scope of things. And he knew that what I would want. And he knew what I would ask for. And he planned what I would do based upon that. And so I have this firm, today I have this firm foundation, firm foundational belief that there is absolutely nothing I could ever do, no mistake I could ever make to keep myself from fulfilling that for which God truly ultimately put me on this planet to do, mm-hmm. which is to love him with all my heart, mind, soul, and spirit, love others as myself, and to ask for whatever I want in his name and believe and believe without doubt and go and and do whatever wherever that takes me you have free will make as many mistakes as you want to make make mistakes don't worry there's nothing you can do to screw up my plan because guess what i'm perfect i got you and i love you and stop believing it when people tell you you're totally depraved (sighs) anyway if there's any part of you that feels like you are fundamentally fundamentally flawed, not enough, not smart enough, not financially prosperous enough, not, uh, oh, I got smart enough again there. Uh, if you, you I say something there, babe? You haven't accomplished enough. You haven't saved enough money. You're not whole. You're not complete. Stop here and uncover the foundational questions uh, that are the questions. The foundations that, of these beliefs. The fa- yeah, the foundations of these false beliefs. Because if you don't solve this hidden barrier, you're just going to keep hitting the upper limit prom- problem over and over and over again. You, you can put countless hours of time, effort, and energy, countless years, decades trying to accomplish something. And if you're trying to accomplish it, to overcome your weaknesses and your shortcomings and your lack of worthiness and your lack of whatever, the lack of anything. I I tell you, you could save a lot of time and just come to the truth that you are whole, fearfully, wonderfully made, exactly as you are, even if you've got a couple nicks on your kitchen table. They add character. They add character. Be uniquely you. Cindy says, uh, let's see here, do, 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 coming out of one profile, too fun. Uh, yes, if you believe. Okay, very cool. She says, yes, if you believe. So true, Stephanie. It is what we believe in our heart, which does not always line up with what we are speaking. Yep. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. Stephanie, 
next week, disloyalty and abandonment. Whew. And maybe we'll get to episode or barrier number three and four. But if if we think that disloyalty and abandonment is what it is, I should probably proofread the chapter. Yeah, to tell you whether it needs to be one limiting belief or two. Okay, next week. And who knows? Maybe next week I, we have to figure it out. But maybe so next week you. is is whether or not the maybe it might be a good time to tell the mountaintop experience. This might be the only thing in this book I relate to. Disloyalty and abandonment. Well, all right. It's no longer it's no longer a hidden belief. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, we'll be back next time. And uh, do we did we ever come up with a sign off? I don't think we still we did have. Not. No, still under construction. Uh, you know what? How about this? How about until next time, build a life and business that you love. No, that's too long. No. Yeah. Wasn't well, that the name of our podcast? Well, yeah, but the name is actually it's not a business you love. Together, how? That's... I don't. Let, yeah. How about just live life with intention? Would that work? Yeah. Or with purpose? What What did you say at the end of Family from the Heart? Live, live your life, life with purpose. Why don't you just say that? Sometimes I switch it up and I say, "Live your life on purpose." Why don't you? Say, why don't you continue to use that here and carry it on as a tradition? How's Perfect. that? All right. Plus, so thank you. It's, all. it's my favorite. Do you know how people? How many people don't live intentionally? I I'm quite aware of this. Yes, yes. I would imagine you are. <laughs> yes. Stephanie. Until next time, we encourage you to live your life on purpose.